Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus That's your way to rock out to a Tigers podcast here on W. Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com and the Tiger Money Report Network. I'm Rogelio Castillo here, and I'll stop doing that obnoxious radio voices. My levels went clearly off the level there. Alongside is Chris Brown. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, and Google Play. And the reason why we're playing a little bit of that Humans, Beings, which is a Van Halen song, of course, from the Twister soundtrack, which, by the way, Chris, you had a really cool story about that song. <laughs> well, I don't know if that was, uh, I, I don't think that was actually the song that, that uh, it was just random, you know, that like, you know, Eddie Van Halen died. And so it, as is natural, people tend to like, huh, let me go listen to some of those songs. Uh, and, you know, I've been listening to some of those songs with my son today, like, you know, Running with the Devil and Hot for Teacher. And I was talking to my dad. He's like, oh, my favorite song by Van Halen is over the credits of the movie Twister. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah. And he was looking online trying to find, like, I don't know, which is fine, you know? I mean, that movie apparently had a, a you know, a rocking soundtrack. But it's just weird to me that my dad, like, paid attention to the credits of Twister, <laughs> which is a fun but incredibly silly movie. Um, yeah, just like, oh, all right. Well, yeah, I can see you liking Van Halen's closing credits twister song but i don't know like i was telling you my, my dad pop music was not really a thing for my dad he, he was listening to classical music from a very young age and outside of the doors and led zeppelin he didn't listen to much but yeah it was just a funny perspective for me yeah and you know what's funny in terms of you mentioned how it's one of those movies in the 90s that didn't age well like for example when you watch independence day when you watch it now it, the cgi and all that it just did not it doesn't look good at all Mm-hmm. It just looks like it looks like like it looks like the '90s, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, th- there are scenes where like, oh, you know, they, that doesn't blend very well. It's very obviously fake. But I will say, I still prefer those kinds of special effects. I guess the 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 number one example for me would be like the Lord of the Rings trilogy special effects, which mm-hmm. were, you know, there was there was a lot of CGI in there, but a lot of it was also practical effects. You know, building big uh, stage, you know scale models and stuff like that and blowing them up. And I, I just prefer that to 
um, like I, I didn't even watch The Hobbit because I was like, oh, this looks gross. It's just all t- CGI, all too fakey. And, and I think they've gotten a lot better with the CGI lately. When you see things like, uh, you know, like the some of those uh, Marvel movies where characters are just completely uh, CGI, or I still haven't watched it, but the, uh, you know, the Irishman. Yeah, that... I think that's getting better, but it's still like there was a period there, and I think it was in the, the like the modern Star Wars movies too, not the not the last three, but the second trilogy, where the CGI was just too much. I, I prefer the practical effects. Oh, I agree with you on the. You talk about the George Lucas ones where he came back in '99. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. The, the CGI there looked terrible. As far as the Irishman, I that that was bad because. You can't tell. I mean, they're trying to age Robert De Niro back from when he when his character first started. It didn't look that good, honestly. It, it did not look that good at all to me. It just, it, it just, the CGI was too much. Just, it, I don't, it looked overmodulated. I know that's probably not the right term I'm using, but there is that aesthetic you're talking about. Like Men in Black, for example, was the right amount that came out like what ninety nine, ninety seven, or something like that. I can't remember what year it came out exactly. Yeah, ninety seven sounds right. Maybe ninety eight. It was, you know, Will Smith had that string of, like, huge blockbusters and there from, like, 96 to 99. And CGI put a guy like Rick Rick Barker, the guy who did all, I mean, the thriller, he did all these makeup and all the, mm-hmm. put all those guys, American Werewolf in London, he put those guys out of business. And I missed that. I missed that kind of, even though The Thing is one of the scariest movies and I'll never watch it ever again, if you ever mention John <laughs> Carpenter's The Thing to me, I will screaming nightmare terrors because that movie still freaks me out to this day that kind of stuff some of the the, the horror movies that look way too real and that also just messes me too much which is why i kind of stay away from horror movies but speaking of horrors in horror <laughs> i should try that again <laughs> speaking of uh horrible things we're going to be doing the tiger's grades tonight there we go horrors and i couldn't I ran into a brick wall there uh we'll get into what al avila said last week when he addressed the media we'll get into the mailbag which we do have a few questions and so this week we're gonna drop the no, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. Although, did you do one, Chris? If you did, I could still roll I, with it. I did. Okay, yeah. Well, then we're gonna we'll, we'll roll with it. Yeah, I ha- I have one I'm too. Okay. Force it. So yeah, no, you know we'll see. We'll play it here. And then we have the grades. So, but we have plenty to get to. As we we were mentioning the death of Eddie Van Halen, it's been a strange news week all around Michigan and the stuff outside of this. If you knew what happened today with the governor. Okay, that's just, you know, it's just been a strange day around here. But Houston and Atlanta move on to the postseason. The first time in 19 years that the Braves are going to the NLCS. And they took care of business, Chris. And and they took care of it very well. The Marlins weren't technically supposed to be here. And Houston all reminded Houston reminded us all that they're still very good. Yeah, I mean, the playoffs have been, um, I don't know, they've been, they've been kind of surprising and fun. But, uh, yeah, a lot of... Uh, a lot of interesting storylines to go so far for, uh, in, in fact, those are my, mostly my good, bad, and ugly. But, uh, yeah, we, so we've already got two teams to punch their ticket. It looks like uh, I haven't checked the last – last I checked, the Yankees were up 2-1. to one. I haven't checked that score lately. And then well, the Dodgers have a chance to close it out tonight, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think – I don't know if it's uh, – so far, I, I think I probably would have thought that – I guess we didn't do our predictions, did we? I don't know. Uh, we did – um, I said Dodgers. Oh, you know, you and Jake might have. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I said Dodgers and White Sox in the World Series. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted my World Series to be. Right now, Yankees are up, by the way, 4-1, to one, top of the eighth. So that one, and, one's going five. 
bottom of the second, Dodgers are up one nothing with the bases loaded. I believe it's full of Padres at the moment. Yep, or they have two on, one out, bottom of the second year with runners on second and third at the moment. So the Padres, interestingly enough, started uh, Morjon, the, the Cuban, today. Oh, yeah. So the 21-year-old getting uh, the, left, the lefty getting a pressure start there. And for the Dodgers, they're going with Dustin May, who looks like they're doing a bullpen start with him going one inning so far. And it was done, and then they pulled them for Adam uh, Kolarik, the veteran 31-year-old. Well, yeah. So lefty. Hopefully it wasn't an injury, but, uh, yeah, maybe I haven't. I haven't, I haven't been watching, like, terribly closely. I don't know. I don't know if it did. wouldn't think I would be burnt out on baseball after – uh, 60 Tigers. games, but I, I just is, I don't know. It's a bit much for me right now, but, uh, yeah, I man, I was able, I was watching when, when Cody Bellinger made that great sort of Homer saving catch against Fernando Tatis. That was like a super cool moment. One of those playoff things. I swear you see more, uh, you know, impactful defensive plays in playoff baseball. And then it's like five times as many as you see during the regular season. Maybe it's just cause it's the playoffs, but I'm always like, Oh man, these guys are really good. Uh, just like Eddie Van Halen was really good. Yeah, apparently. yeah. <laughs> he was, he was, he was, he was the best in the guitar. I and mean, even for like yeah. for, for a guitar standpoint, or Cody Bellinger's play was that saved the Dodgers game and and really kind of and that's been a te- like just kind of a tumultuous series as both teams have been kind of hot tempered. I've watched just like you. I've watched baseball. I watch a couple innings here and there. Ch- chime in. Look at some of the summaries. And I've been working on looking at some players from other organizations right now and my, and also same thing, like just been I'm a little burned out. I mean, I've, you and I have watched quite a bit of baseball in the last, even before that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I was watching Cuban league baseball for Christ's sake. So oh, that's right. Yeah. You're watching the sugar land skeeters. And yeah, I was pouring through minor league videos from last year. It's, just, eh, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of break. Yeah. And I don't, also, I don't know. I don't know what it is about, this uh you know this strange covid year but i haven't been interested in any playoffs really like baseball is the sport i care about the most so i'm paying attention to some of that but i didn't watch any nba playoffs i think the finals are tonight aren't they or is i don't even know i think yeah i think so Uh, i didn't watch a a second of the nhl playoffs i don't know what it is it's just something like everything's thrown off and i just can't be bothered i haven't even i guess alabama and texas a&m played in college football last week i see i yeah, like, same here, I, I, I'm not paying attention to college football at all. I basically discovered that, you know what, I'm not really a college football fan anymore. I just kind of like Michigan, I guess. And, I, and even then, I don't watch the games because I get too frustrated. So I just record them. And if they lose, I just uh, erase it. There you go. Living in my own bubble in my head. No, but I'm with you, man. Like, I, and I think it's also, for me, it's a seasonality thing. Like, I, It's weird yeah. that the Stanley Cup was in late September when usually training camp starts about now. And the same thing with the NBA. It's right about then. Not to mention, I think with the NBA and the NHL, like I've been, whenever they're on, I don't even know when it's on. You know, what I mean, like I just don't. Yeah. I don't. And with all this stuff going on with baseball, my my priorities are face. Plus, honestly, Chris, I've been doing like work on my grilling game. I've been posting pictures on my Twitter. Oh yeah. yeah and yeah. and I also got I just got a new car last month, and I've been obsessed with doing little things to it and all that. So I've been, and not to mention, I was taking drumming lessons, which I have. Admittedly, I haven't done it in two months because I've just been preoccupied with stuff with baseball. But honestly, man, I just with other, the other sports going on, it's not that I, I don't. When it comes to college football, same thing. I'm a Michigan guy, but also I've been watching 
Like, I've been watching Barney Miller. So don't ask me why <laughs> I've been watching Barney Miller, but I randomly one night on YouTube, it was up, and I watched that episode, and I, th- I was laughing. I'm like, oh, you know, this show came out in 75, and it's still relevant now. Some of the some of the jokes are still really good. By the way, Padres and Dodgers are tied at one bottom of the second. You know, I don't... Uh... I don't think I've ever seen Barney Miller, but I, I do believe wasn't the show Fish like a spinoff yep. of Barney Miller Correct. with Abe Pagoda. Yep. yep. And I, I know my uh, my former coworker who now works with the Tigers and helped build uh, Caesar the database. Yeah. Or at least he was working with the Tigers. He had a Barney Miller board game. <laughs> really? Yeah. I <laughs> wow. have no idea how you would play that or what. Yeah. Not knowing anything about the show, but be kind of curious to to see about that. I mean, I, I would. I'm down interested to pick his brain about. So, what has happened? Bar- like they go and solve crime because I mean, the show is just. It's like a, a good show of camaraderie among New York detectives. But Abe Goda's in. Uh, Abe Goda's great. I mean, I've always loved him on Conan when he was like Abe Goda's dead, and then you come out running on the stage or. Yeah. That stuff's good. Yeah, yeah. He became kind of a, a caricature of himself, but you know, he was a big character in The Godfather, and. Yeah. But, uh... Let's see, Barney, I'm looking it up. Barney Miller, a board game. You know what? One of the interesting things I was thinking about uh, as we talk, yeah, Barney Miller board game from 1977. You can buy it for 25 bucks online. I might, I might purchase that, but I have to, I'll have to wait. Oh, it's got a 4.4 <laughs> on Board Game Geek. Is that bad? Assume the identity of one of Barney Miller's detectives. Use a deck of evidence cards and arrest warrants to be the first to book all four suspects that appear on your wanted poster. Yeah, it doesn't sound too bad to me. No, that sounds pretty cool. The cat burglars. No, but I was thinking, you know, we were talking about Eddie Van Halen, and obviously that's, I mean, it's a, a bummer, one of the greatest guitarist players of all time. But I realized that I I know Van Halen, as as with most things, like in a completely backward way, I actually know of them through rap music. Um, and I, you know, I later learned that Eddie Van Halen played the guitar on what, what Beat It, was it? Yeah. Michael Jackson. But... I don't know if you remember the, the big two life crew album with as nasty as they want to be. Yes. Th- there was a song called the F shop on there. The, the F stands for what you think it is. Um, and that has like, it starts off with the beginning of sweet child of mine, I think. And then it goes right into this just heavier guitar lick, which it turns out is the guitar. Well, I learned was the guitar line from uh, one of the, what, what song is it from that first Van Halen ain't talking about love. It's so yeah. I was like, huh. And here I come to this rock and roll group through a terrible rap group. But was that was fun at the time because they said a lot of dirty words when I was eight and nine. Yeah, there's. Yeah, that's that's a that is an interesting way. That's especially the album. Like like that. Yeah, here it is. Well, is this or or is it more in the middle of the song? No, that's the. If you start the F Cup song, the. There it is. I'm just saying that I gotta find the two life crew version of that. Yeah, so the F shop it starts with a, I know a place down there something two streets. They don't ask questions, they give you clean sheets. <laughs> <laughs> you said it was two life crew that did that? Yeah, two life crew, the F shop. Oh man, my, my brother loved two life crew. My I, I... Well, I mean you talked about I mean they were like Miami bass music. There it is. Welcome to the 
Oh, they say the F word. Yep. There you go. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so that's how I do Van Halen. Oh, well, by the way, they're including the new Two Live Crew and Motley Crew hit song, Crew oh. to Crew. <laughs> oh, outstanding. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Two Life Crew on Donahue? Yeah. No. <laughs> you know what? Oh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, I did. Um, my mom, I know. Okay. There was a story behind it. I think my mom yelled at my older brother for, because the, they played the funk shop, right? Or the, they called it the funk shop. On Donahue? Uh, they played that song. They, I, I don't think they censored anything. Maybe a couple of them did, but a couple of them didn't. Oh, good. I don't know if it was Brother Marquise or Fresh Kid Ice or whoever. Crew. Come out here. Yeah, well, Here's the way Donahue says two live crew. And these people are. But it, it's, such, are, a, here it's is such a great video because half crew. the people in the crowd are like, oh, man. And the other half are like, it's awful. Oh, it's so weird getting to, like, we we'll have to put the link on the description because I want people to... Yeah. That is, <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's. Yeah. Anyway, my sister to me to to take a tribute to Eddie Van Halen and, and throw it right in the gutter, but that's uh, okay. I mean, I think we are. If people know our influences are vast, but the, the, what I was gonna say about this um, on Donahue was, my sister ran out my older brother for recording this because two live oh, crew. Wow. Like, but then I found out after a while, my mom didn't really pay attention to. <laughs> What was the lyrics? Oh, there's an old lady just looking like confused. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> the video is so good. Oh man! All right, so we'll, we'll put that in a link. But uh, let's go in. We've <laughs> we gotten so sidetracked, but I'm 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 thro- I'm excited because it's about stuff that we like, so that's perfectly fine. But let's go into some inside numbers this week, and there is a lot of, a lot of home runs, Chris. I, and we were talking. I, I know they were talking about this on Twitter and on the broadcast. The amount of home runs, it's just it's it's just ridiculous. And I saw one, I sent you the tweet earlier about the Astros and the A series. And there's also what was, did you hear about that whole shift thing that was going on? Just the, the amount of shifting and how big Oh go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I didn't I actually so I didn't hear anything. So I might I got nothing to say there other uh, than I, I know that there were a lot of teams doing four man outfields or yeah. the the but I didn't see anything about the shifts. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was just in terms of how they're setting up positional wise and a lot of the, the complaints behind it. So, um, but oh, that's right. I did see Mike Petrello. Yeah, say, you know, I'm not in favor of banning the shift, but if people if it makes people stop talking about banning the shift, then I'll allow it. Yeah, that that was yeah. that, that was great. So it's so dumb, man. But uh, yeah, go ahead, Chris. What's your inside number this week? Uh, mine is uh, seven seventeen, or to be more specific, point seven seventeen. That is the difference in slugging percentage between Carlos Correa's regular season, which was 383, and his postseason, which is 1,100. Um, Correa, after today, he now has 15 postseason home runs in his career, which puts him just outside the top 10 all-time. Wow. Uh, yeah, and he's still only halfway to the career record. The career record is Manny Ramirez with 29 and, like, 280 at-bats, or 480 plate appearances, like, just nuts. But uh, Correa just turned 26, like, two weeks ago. Uh, so if anybody's got a shot to break that record, it would seem to be him. And he also added five RBIs today, which gives him 45 postseason RBIs in his career, which is ninth all time already. Uh, he's two behind Chipper Jones for, uh, you know, eighth, and then like a couple more in his Reg- Reggie Jackson. Uh, Bernie Williams is the leader at 80. So again, that seems like it's completely within distance. 
uh, as a 26 year old, but you never know, man. You like he could sign a deal with another team and never make the playoffs again. I was looking. Uh, Albert Pujols ranks fourth all time in postseason home runs and sixth all time in RBIs, and he's played three postseason games in like the last uh, 11 years. You know, I think or 10 years. Yeah, but he basically the, the Angels have had one trip to the postseason in three games, so he would have probably easily <laughs> eclipsed those marks had he stayed in St. Louis. But he he went with a big contract, and I don't you know nobody blames him for that. But there you go. The record uh, is out of reach for him. So, I don't know. It just seemed interesting. I think Carlos Gray has got a good chance at it. Yeah, he's been – he was he was a stud in the whole series and he plays a really good defensive – defensively, just a standout there. And, and for the Astros, really, he's been kind of the saw serves a drink a little bit and no garbage cans. I know that the jokes aside, they're just getting – they're getting they're getting it done. So, but my, my sad number this week is one – and that is the Gary Sanchez, who was one for nine in the postseason so far. In game two, he was 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. And Aaron Boone had no choice but to start Kyle Hisagawa. Higashioka. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, who has been slightly better, three for 12. And giving them an, a, a solid presence behind the play a little bit. I mean, for the season, he actually hit better than Sanchez. So he hit 250 with four home runs and 10 RBIs. And defensively, he actually rates better than Sanchez, who hit 147 for the season, who struggled struggled with injuries, I believe, as well. But as kind of, I guess he didn't speak to, Aaron Boone did not speak to Sanchez about the decision before announcing it. So, but for New York, it doesn't really matter. I mean, yesterday I watched, I watched a little bit. I've watched the Yankees in a series because I've, this is the first time I get well, outside of ESPN showing the Yankees all the time. I just wanted to see where in a series where it actually mattered versus the Boston Red Sox for the 800th time. And my God, man, just watching John Carlos Stanton hit a home run. Looked like he barely swings it, just like, and it's gone. Oh God! It was a, it hit a home run yesterday. Yeah, it was yeah, it was, yeah, it was yesterday. And and I also wanted to watch Tyler Glasgow pitch, and that guy. Oh man, that guy—he looks like a male model. By the way, he was doing an interview. <laughs> like I'm pitching Ninja, put an interview up, and he looks like a male model. But it's yeah. like he was talking about fastball grip and why he has it, his grip a certain way because of his yeah. hands. That was really or fingers. That was really cool. Yeah, I was gonna talk about that video because his hands are enormous. Yeah, you can see the baseball fits in like <laughs> the, the the last two segments of his fingers. Like he's just got plenty of hand left over after that. It's crazy. But I mean, I think he's like six seven, so that's not terribly surprising. But yeah, it's like, all right, well, I understand now. Um, yeah, and, and those those Stanton home runs. I don't know, was it two or three games ago? He hit the two homers in one game. The two of the most ridiculous home runs I've ever seen. First of all, the first one was on a glass now breaking ball. I think it yeah. was away, and he hit a line drive. It looked like it never got more than like twelve feet off the ground. It's like, how the hell do you like? How does that happen? I don't yeah. even understand the physics of that. And then his second home run was just like the most beautiful, destructive thing I've ever seen in my life. Then everybody's super skeptical that it was only 458 feet. Oh, it looked like yeah. it was like 520 feet. <laughs> I saw that on Twitter, yeah. Bomb. Yeah, just blasted, yeah. I feel like they could, you know, there's got to be a way to simulate that. You know, when, when the players aren't there, just, just get a pitching machine and a swinging machine and make sure it hits it. And uh, But whatever. I guess there's no no desire to really find out exactly how far the home runs went except for every fan but whatever yeah that, it, but even the whole entire series like what we mentioned earlier the, the whole 
just entire amount of really to me I, there's, there's the home run people chicks as they say the cliche goes chicks love the long ball but yeah when Stanton hits it it just looks like it sometimes even looks like it's like on the bottom of the I know it's not off the barrel the bottom of the towards the bat where his hands are but sometimes Chris you look at those home runs and you just think to yourself it's the same thing with when the likes of when everybody's talking about the juice balls and you, you know that one Twitter guy is always like oh, so, oh juice balls well yeah I get it but at the same time, these games, I don't know. It, it, it's been, it, it's really, I have to see the results of the data after the postseason, how much more home runs than comparably speak. I know, I saw, what was it? I sent you a text earlier about the, oh yeah, the home run series, the, the A's and Astro series, 23 home runs, record for most postseason series of five games or fewer. That's, that's yeah. ridiculous, Chris. I mean, put that in the context, like man. Five and a half home runs a game. <sighs> the hell, man? Just, um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder. I don't know. We've talked about it before. But uh, I think you you also sent, was it the Jeff Passan yeah. thing? Where, like, teams are 19-0 and 0 this year when they out-homer their opponents in the playoffs. And it's like, yeah, and it was what we talked about with the Tigers for most of 2019. Like, there's just no power. And they went, and, they went and found some this year, which was cool. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I don't know if, if you – there's always multiple ways to win. I'm sure a team could win by stringing together a lot of hits. But, but it, it kind of makes sense when pitchers are so damn good now with striking guys out. It's just like, yeah, I, mean, I guess you got to kind of go for it all when you can. Draw your walks and hit home runs. Otherwise, you're going to strike out. So, I don't know. Yeah, and I play for you know the song for the long ball. So, but this week is it, now it's time for the good and the bad and ugly this week. And Chris, I'll let you lead off this week. Uh, so yeah, my good is uh, I'm going to go back to that Astros offense we touched on a little bit. You know, everybody had uh, a lot of fun about them, you know, being cheaters because their regular season offense looked looked brutal compared to you know when they were winning everything. But uh, I looked today after their their game today, uh, the the OPS numbers for each of the top six hitters in the Astros lineups are as follows. Uh, 1199, George Springer. 1326, Jose Altuve. 1105, uh, Michael Brantley. 1167, Alex Bregman. A lousy 824 for Kyle Tucker, who hit a measly 400. <laughs> and then 1754 for Carlos Correa. Absolutely insanity. That's, that's the top six hitters in the lineup are all hitting like absolute beasts for four games it's just insane and, and that that offense was really humming and we'll see uh what happens i mean the a's i thought had pretty good pitching but it does seem like i don't know it's like the classic billy bean a squad that somehow wins like 95 games and they get in the playoffs and like oh right we don't have anybody who's actually all that great <laughs> that's right we I mean, don't... They, they, i don't know they seem like they're good players but they take i don't know uh but uh, yeah so then my bad is the the Marlins offense. This is a little bit unfair, but uh, maybe we should be giving more of the credit to the the Braves because they have four shutouts in five postseason games. But the Marlins just couldn't do much in the series. They did hit, you know, five runs and nine hits in game one, which is which is good. But shut out in just three hits in game two and then shut out today on five hits. As a team, they went 17 for 100 in the series, which is, uh, you can do the math there. It's a 170 batting average with four walks and 31 strikeouts. Um, it shouldn't be too surprising. 
because they were ranked 26th as an offense in F4 this year, which is six slots below the Tigers. Uh, but still, you know, a heck of a run for them and very fun to see. And I think we would all be ecstatic if the Tigers got blown out in the postseason because at least they would be in the postseason. So Something. good for the Marlins. Yeah. Uh, and my ugly here is uh, maybe a little bit early, early uh, obituary, but it's the death of the Cubs dynasty that never was. Ooh, um, that's a good one here. You know, I, I just talked about those pathetic Marlins. They they did away with the Cubs with, with relative ease. And uh, it's the, the fourth year in a row the Cubs have gone home, you know, early, if you will. They did make the – four years ago they made the, the league championship series. But, you know, they won the World Series. That's all that matters. But still, there's – there's I don't know. And there's, there's talent left for one more year. But Epstein has already come out and said, you know, that's probably – he didn't say it in so many words. But he was like, yeah, you got to talk about transitions and moving on. Uh, next year is the final year of his – Five-year, $50 million contract as the president. Uh, and he, he brought him the World Series, like I said, so that's all that really matters. But it still feels like a bit of a letdown. You, you look at the roster as it stands. Uh, Jose Quintana is a free agent, I believe. John, John Lester is almost certainly gone because he's got a $25 or $25 million team option and a $10 million buyout, so they'll probably not let him go. And then after next year, you've got Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Cal Schwarber, and Craig Kimbrell. Not that he matters that much. They're all free agents after next year. That's a huge portion of the roster. And we, we assume that Bryant is gone uh, after, like, the animosity early in his, his career. And also, he hasn't been very good. He was awful this year and wasn't all that good last year. Um, and it just it, it feels – they still have some talent. They still got Darvish and Hendricks signed to long-term deals and Jason Hayward for whatever that's worth. And, and – Wilson Contreras is still there for two more years, and Ian Happ is there for three years. So there's still plenty of talent, but it, it feels almost like like maybe they can make one more run next year, but it, it feels like the smart thing to do would actually be to like sell the hell out of all these players, you know? Maybe if they plan on re-signing Javi Baez, sign him, but you know, maybe it's time to trade Bryant and Schorber and, and see what you can get. So like I said, you know, it felt like it was going to be a dynasty, all these hot young players and, and you know, making these big trades for pitchers and, and in the end, it just kind of feels like a letdown. It's amazing how quickly things can go from, like, super hopeful to ugly again. Yeah, especially because, I mean, he was kind of cryptic during his state of the— I guess he didn't meet with Tom Ricketts, the team's owner, like he usually does um, right away. Or I forgot exactly how that went. But, I mean, he spoke several times during, like, I guess, kind of hinting around. He said— for, quote, for me as an individual, there's a benefit of change after a significant amount of time on the job. I have to keep that in mind without making any definitive statements. And look, I, I look at it this way. If you're the Tigers and you hear that, you immediately, if you're Chris Dillage, take off the, take off your binoculars, okay? Get your sharp suit, one of those suits you have, like Armani suits, or I don't know how much suits are because I'm not a suit person, and, and have a conversation with them. He might he might need yeah. a break from baseball, period, but it doesn't hurt. And give Theo Epstein whatever he wants. If he wants he wants a key to the city, which is dumb, but or, let me let me rephrase that. Mm. If he wants to be the mayor of Detroit afterwards, you give him whatever he wants. You want you want you want to give him a hundred little Caesar franchises, do it. Whatever it takes <laughs> to for him to bring him in here. If you're the Tigers, that's what you gotta do. Theo Epstein is a baseball yeah. man. Who has time? He brought the Red Sox a World Series, and the lineage he has among the league. You talk about Bill Parcells in the NFL with his lineage, and you talk mm -hmm. about even Bill Walsh too. Theo Epstein's lineage outside—it's yeah. it, impressive. It's very, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's not like Bill Belichick's coaching 
where everybody thinks they're an offensive guru, like Bill O'Brien, who got fired by Houston last week. Not like that at all. And if I'm Detroit, that's what I would do. But again, you know, he might need a break at all, Chris, you know? Yeah, I mean, it it would would be ideal for the Tigers. Uh, The problem is, um, as I mentioned, he's coming off a five-year, $50 million deal. So, you know, he's been making $10 million a year for the Cubs, and he's obviously worth it. But to get him to Detroit, uh, I don't know. What are you going to need to pay him? You're going to pay $60 million over five years? Would would Illich do that? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it to me. It's a, I don't know. I mean, maybe he would make a big splash. Maybe, maybe he wanted to go in and pay a couple guys. Yeah, I, mean, and, <laughs> uh, I don't know. These things happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe they sell a team and we get Mark Cuban or Steve Ballmer or some crazy billionaire and, and they just go nuts and bring him in. That would be the the 1% ideal situation. But it just it doesn't seem terribly likely to me. But yeah, it would be malfeasance to not at least contact him and see if he would be interested. Uh, you know, I mean, how can he broke two 100 year uh, uh, losing or, or championship streaks, right? And he's friends with Boston. Yeah, and he's friends with Eddie Vedder. I mean, if that comes, well, there you go. Because um, I'm trying to think, you know, that the um, the Tigers probably have like the fifth longest drought in baseball now, don't they? I mean, you got so the Padres have never won the World Series, so that's and the Padres and neither of the Mariners. Yep. Then um, let's see here. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, let me go through Tampa Bay, but they well, they've been around since what ninety nine, ninety seven, ninety eight. Rays started yeah, then. They, I mean, the Cleveland, uh, the Brewers. The Brewers went. Did they, they win in they the went, 60? Yeah, so they won. They they went to the World Series in '82, lost to the Cardinals, and that was it. They haven't been back since. Yeah. So, so I would put the Brewers in there. See. Pirates have won since '79. So Pirates. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I'm not. I'm not using Google yeah. at all. So I'm looking. I'm looking online to see if we can get it, but. Well, tell me how accurate um, I am. So I'm going to go. Oh, with, here we go. List of major league. Okay. Let me uh, without without me looking. So I'm going to put the Rays, put the Brewers. I'm going to put the Padres on that list, and I'm also well, the Rays gonna, have only been around for 23 years. Okay. All right. So oh, and let me get the Rays then. So then Pirates, Padres, Brewers, Seattle, and I feel like I'm missing a team in the AL. Oh, Texas, because it, yeah, it, Texas is Texas is number two. Yeah. So and, I, Oh, if you want to keep going, there's let's see what. So the the Tigers are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They have the eighth longest drought. championship drought. Okay. Um, you mentioned the so, Brewers, the Rangers, the Padres, the Mariners, the Pirates. Yep. And we already talked about the Indians, right? They have the longest. So there's right. only one other team you didn't mention. Okay. So wait a minute. I'm trying to think here. Then is it American League team? It is. Oh, um. No. Wait. Crap. Baltimore? No, yeah. no. Baltimore? Really? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, they won the year before the Tigers. Yeah, in 83. Yeah, that was a good, that was yeah. a, that was the last, that was the last basket of uh, good Baltimore teams. Well, eh, technically until 87, 88. Well, no, never mind. They were a train wreck after uh, 83. They just started falling apart. But. Yeah, so, I mean, not that, uh, I don't know, Theo Epstein really is just out there searching for, searching for teams to, you know, break streaks. I don't know. Who knows what he, he would want to do? Maybe he would want to go fix the Mets oh, as the ultimate middle finger to the Yankees. Yeah, but it, um, 
at the same time, you know, you have Sandy Ellison who's going to take back over over there. I mean, although Sandy Ellison, yeah. I mean, the guy's kind of it's been around for a long time, but yeah, that that, that would be a nice fu. But then again, also it's the Mets. I mean, no, no offense to anybody. Yes, else, it's, come on. Well, I know that would be the ultimate. Would be making the Mets consistently better than the Yankees. That would be the ultimate. Like, oh, sorry, tough break. Um, I mean, nobody would care that much. But yeah, the, the same kind of deal would. I'm sure that Artie Moreno would love to talk to him right now. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, but uh, yeah, maybe the timing is not too great there. But you know, I don't think Artie Moreno is the kind of guy who would balk at hiring a GM for one year and then replacing him with Epstein. But uh, who knows? Maybe he wants to stay on the East Coast. or. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. So yeah. for my good and bad ugly this week, I'm going to start with – you talked about the Braves earlier. You talked about the Marlins and I'm against the Braves. But how about one Ian Anderson? And this was a – this was something yeah. I found on ESPN. It was just an astounding stat. And he has thrown 234 changeups against hitters have hit one, .079 with a 111 slugging percentage this year against them. That's ridiculous. And he, mm. I mean, he had that, had 2 nothing shutout. And what was that? Yeah, it was on Wednesday. But the ERA of the Braves staff has been 1.13. As a collective, the starters have been one point five nine. So, and and an interesting stat for anybody out there, according to ESPN stats information, two other teams have ever put up three or four three shutouts in four games to start postseason. Both teams, the nineteen oh five Giants led by John McGraw, and the nineteen sixty six Baltimore Orioles won the World Series. So that bodes well for Braves fans out there. Yeah, I mean Anderson looks. Uh, it's really interesting because he's he's a he looks like the real deal. He's the real deal. Um, but yeah, it's it's really you know fastball changeup. He's got a curve. It's not not all that great. His fastball and curve don't have they have below average spin. But that's kind of he's got a really interesting. I think he's got a really high three quarter or high almost over the top um, release point. But uh, yeah, the changeup's just just uh, nasty. So. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, it, we've talked before about all the pitching that the Braves had and how it didn't really work out, but it looks like they might have got to find another hit with Anderson. And then Kyle Wright, who's been pretty bad uh, so far, pitched really well today. So, yeah, yeah. that's uh, I didn't realize Anderson was his changeup was quite that good. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like saw, Devin Williams. When I saw that stat, it just I mean, it just blew my mind just because it's just the amount of we the Tigers have been throwing through more changeups. We're starting to get more in the changeups and curveballs this year than they were previous seasons, but I have to do a little deeper dive about that um, in terms of from a stat perspective. But yeah, for Atlanta, look, it, this is a different Atlanta feel. I thought that Atlanta would choke away like they always do in the postseason. And one of those <laughs> things about me, I have to get rid of sometimes is get rid of that stereotype in my head about baseball sometimes with certain teams. But at the same time. I just did not expect this kind of dominance. I mean, again, we didn't expect the Marlins to get this far, of course, but still, it's still impressive. So my bad, and the one thing about my bad this week, Chris, and I feel bad, and it's the second week in a row he has made the the bad list, and that is one Kelly Jansen. And he, again, he's been struggling in the postseason. He, cut, he came into game two, and with the 6-2 lead, but he started giving – he gave up a couple runs before Joe Kelly slammed the door. And the same issue, Chris, the fastball is down. Um, on his pitches on Wednesday night, three, 11 of his pitches were at least 90, only three above 92. 
So, um, but I think all that wear and tear is finally getting to him, Chris. I mean, we, we remember we've we've talked about this every postseason how much Dave Roberts rode. I mean, rode Jansen. I mean, like three inning what was it? a couple mm-hmm. times. It felt like there was three inning, um, three inning saves. It's uh, certainly so. But the Bra- or excuse me, the Dodgers are a lot deeper in their bullpen, so that's going to help out long term. So if you see a Braves and Dodgers series, that's going to be that. I, I think that's going to be a little more of a home run, less happy series than we've been seeing, hopefully. But and the bad, and I say this as bad in, in a strange way, but hear me out. So the free agent qualifying price jumps to now a record high, eighteen point nine million. The reason I view that as ugly is because there's a lot of teams who are claiming they're broke because of COVID and what have you. So this is going to, I think, the reason why it's going to get ugly for teams like in the middle market teams like Detroit, for example, who are maybe the, maybe in the lower end of the market, but you're in the middle, like well, I'm trying to think of a, a middle market example. Um, let's say... Let's say you're the Indians, okay? I mean, Indians are kind of a little... Yeah, well, anyway, well, I'll just use the Indians as an example. They're the Reds? Yeah, Reds, okay. That's a good one, too. You're two or three players away from just getting there. Teams that with the higher the cachet that didn't feel exactly the blow of it all, quote-unquote, from what happened with COVID, are able to, they're going to outspend. They're going to be outspend these, middle, these teams. There's going to be more haves than have-nots, I think, with this. Because if teams are claiming they're broke, Chris, I don't know. The narrative out there is kind of confusing right now. But you see that qualifying offer jump again. It kind of makes you go, well, who's going to be able to afford these guys? Well, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it almost always jumps. I think it actually went down last year. Yep. But it almost always jumps because it's supposed to be the average of what, like the top 15% or top 20% of all salaries. So it, you would think it would go up. Um, well, I'm kind of curious. You, we, were, we were discussing, and we'll talk about this further on a, a later episode when it gets, uh, you know, probably after the postseason. But which players will actually get a qualifying offer? I wonder if we'll see more than ever take it this year, just because of the uncertainty surrounding free agency. You yeah. know, if they're they're like, you know, because it's gonna be nineteen million dollars basically. Is that better than? Are, will, will teams just you know plead poverty and not offer any deals? I don't know. I, I still feel like it's gonna be business as usual, but. Who knows? We don't know how long teams are going to have to play without fans. It's it's kind of, I mean, we're what five months away now from spring training, and uh, yeah, I don't feel like <laughs> I don't feel like things are going to change dramatically in five months. But who knows? Yeah, and the reason why I mean, the, the, a lot of teams will probably take, perhaps a lot of guys will take that qualifying offer. But then also the the coin side of it, the flip side of this all too, is that we might have some quote unquote collusion, not collusion, but just maybe mm-hmm. teams waiting to the last minute to sign. So we're gonna have another free agency season where we're not talking about guys signing until maybe late January, early February, possibly. Mm-hmm. So I can see it. All right, so we're going into our grades. So the the Tiger grades, and I might. Here's the thing about this. So just as a disclaimer, we're going to kind of go into for the lineup. There's a, the Tigers had a few hitters here and there that called up, but I wanted to focus more on the regulars. So the the, the players mm-hmm. that we saw quite a bit of versus, I don't know, maybe like, uh, for example, C.J. Crone. I can't really give him a grade. Yeah. 
Um, so I, 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 I gave him, I gave him a B slash incomplete. Yeah. That, that, okay. That's a good, that's a good one to go with. Um, but it's, it was one of those things where I waited for the free press. I waited for M live and I'm probably gonna do, I'm going to do article follow up with this tomorrow because I just wanted to kind of, kind of do a wait and see approach, but I also just wanted to kind of like you and I were talking about earlier, kind of move myself from hardcore tiger baseball because it's been we've been going at it pretty hard the last few months but i also <laughs> i just also didn't want to be like too, i wanted to really think about in terms of the article even for the podcast i wanted to kind of be like fair but not a dick if that makes any sense so mm-hmm. so explanations hopefully will make some sense so i'll start we'll start with starting pitching pitchers i'll just start with the five i picked chris were fulmer turnbull boyd scooble and buys with mm-hmm. even Ian Noah getting a incomplete because I mean, but when, yep. when you did start, he was a D, and then the bullpen yeah. kind of I, I gave him an F incomplete. <laughs> so he went F. Like, wow, he went even harder than I did. So let's let's start. Oh, his ERA was like nine, wasn't it? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, he was he was terrible. All right, so let's start with the uh, let's start with Michael Fulmer, Chris. Would you give him? I gave Fulmer enough. I, I feel bad about it, but I mean, he was awful. Uh, it. it that's an 878 ERA. That just uh, not going to cut it. He had 10 starts, never worked more than three innings in any starts. You know, he felt like he could have in, in one or two of them. But, you know, and in, in, I'm not grading on a curve here. Like, knowing that he had surgery, I would probably lower that a little bit. But the results are the results. And, yeah, he was just really bad. I gave him a D only because. And Mark and I got into it on Twitter. Mark Urash and I was talking about, well, why, why would you expect him to give any better on his second year? And I'm paraphrasing Mark, but look, there's some sign. I mean, like, look, his fastball velocity is down, and he was trying to he was trying to tell me that his numbers were bad before he went on the table. And I I didn't think he was before his arm blew out wasn't that bad. Um, but look, honestly, he could come out throwing 95 next year. If he doesn't, then we know that he's. He's done for, but I, I'll give him a D only because I felt like there's some there's some moments there where he wasn't totally awful. So mm-hmm. you know that, that's where I went with. It. And I, I don't know, I, now I might have to consider giving. Well, anyway, yeah. But uh, no, hey, no. Be fair. You're you know, and and you be considerate. I will tell you uh, what I said when I stepped onto college campus. I'm gonna f a whole lot of people today. <laughs> All right, for Spencer Turbo, what'd you give him? I give Turnbull, I believe I gave him a B. Let me see. Let me, I, I wrote it down. I don't know. I'm wandering around while I'm talking. Let's see. I gave Turnbull a B. Yeah, solid B. You know, he's got, his stuff looks really good at times. And uh, he had a, a, you know, he led the, the team in ERA, I believe. It's like under four. Um, and over a course of like a full season, he may have given him three and a half war. But he, I just couldn't go any higher because of, those issues where he just suddenly completely loses the strike zone and he doesn't pitch terribly deep into games. I mean, nobody does in the Tigers this year, but yeah, I mean, it was a solid year, but, but not great, I guess is how I would say it was acceptable. If you have four or ter- five turn bowls, you're probably super frustrated, but you're going to win a lot of games. I gave him an a only because here's why I gave him a, he only allowed two home runs comparatively speaking to the rest of the staff. So I'm drawing a yeah. comparison for the rest of the staff I'm giving it an A because at least he was the most competent Tiger pitcher out there. And, yeah, sometimes you try to nibble too much, and that's always all the walk sometimes. When he challenged hitters, it was a better result. 
So among Tiger starters, I, I'll give him an A. So it, it's th- this next grade was hard for me because this was the hardest one to do on the staff, and that's Matt Boyd. I gave him a D. I was gonna give him a C. What? A D? Yeah, I give him a D because. The, but the reason why I was almost giving him a C is because there's a couple starts where I'm like, man, man, but Matthew Boy looks really, really good. But then it's like, oh, man. But then in that same start, sometimes he would go that Jekyll and Hyde thing. So it was kind of threw you off. So sorry, Matt Boyd, if you're listening. If, probably not. But either way, um, yeah, it, it, Matt Boyd, I expected a little better than that. But that's what I gave him. Yeah, well, I gave him an F. Um, <laughs> you know, it's six, seven, one ERA. And 15 home runs in 60 innings. I, I just, I, you know, I, it's weird. I, I feel bad for Matthew Boyd. Not just, you know, as Tigers fans, we're like, man, that really sucks that he just, you know, he has devolved into this gopher ball pitcher. is terrible. And, and they, you know, they'll never be able to trade him now. But I feel bad for him because he's going to be going into free agency after next season. Theoretically, I don't think the Tigers are going to you know, resign him. And teams aren't going to pay him for that, you, you know, that awesome two months, the beginning of 2019. They're going to look at him and say, yeah, you know, the rest of 2019 and all of 2020, this is who you are. You're going to get $5 million on one year. Like, he's, he's lost a lot of money, I think, over the last year. And it sucks because you see the things he does well. We've talked about it. We wrote articles about it, about how, you know, strikes out a lot of guys and doesn't walk a ton. And But, you know, just the home runs. I don't know. Maybe if uh, some team, maybe the San Francisco Giants know that uh, he won't give up as many home runs there and they can sign him. But, yeah, I still don't think the market will be very good for him. I don't think so either. And if, if anything, it makes it worse. So for Tarek Skubal, I gave him a B minus. It was my first minus grade because, again, there is enough there to indicate that he can be a capable starter in the in the major leagues, and his stuff looked really good. I think it's because his movement of his pitches impressed me, and his numbers. Mm-hmm. For for a guy who was just throwing the fire out of Double A and had COVID, honestly, Chris, I mean, yeah, B minus. I think it was fair. I mean, you might differ for me, and that's fine. But I just thought that based off what we we're able to see in a short period of time and a small sample size, based off the season, all things mm-hmm. considered. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought what I saw from him was pretty promising at times. He had two rough starts, and and uh, but but it's funny. I it would be interesting if we go through this. I gave him a C minus, and I, I'd be curious. I think every time so far, my grade has been a full letter grade below yours. Like <laughs> exactly with every player so far. I feel like uh, maybe my memory doesn't go very no, well. No, no, you're, uh, you're you're no, you're you're dead on. You're absolutely right about that. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I I I saw a lot to like with Scoobal, you know. Um, and I think we talked about it before, mostly his, the thing I liked the most was his demeanor. He never seemed to get rattled. I think maybe in his first start, you know, when he was just a little bit, uh, you know, probably obviously amped up, but I felt like he got more and more comfortable. He had a couple like high strikeout games, you know, his, his secondary pitches still have, uh, room for improvement and hopefully he can figure that out, but the fastball will play and, and, He's another guy who gave up a lot of home runs, and you just kind of hope that with a little more seasoning, he can figure out how to keep those down. He's an extreme fly ball pitcher, so he's probably always going to give up home runs, but maybe he can become that sort of Verlander guy who gives up uh, home runs, but then everything else is a strikeout or a pop-up. And that's that's the ultimate hope. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. C-minus feels kind of rough, but in, in the end, you know, he 
gave him what uh, eight starts, seven starts. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. uh, and uh, five six ERA. I mean, I just I don't know. <laughs> as much as I'd like to give him a higher grade, I, I couldn't do it. That's understandable. I just went on. Some of the grades were based off what I've seen in in terms of glimpses and what have you, and so that's where my grading system was probably. I'd be a teacher or sorry, crappy teacher. Yeah. And I'm not gonna. <laughs> no, lie. it's fine. I'm not- I think if you average out our grades, then we'll get uh, uh, you know, a curve, curve. So, okay, so for yeah. Casey Mize, what do you got for Casey Mize? I gave Mize a D plus. So he's just, a, a, I guess, a half or a third grade below Scooble. I, I thought, like Scooble, we saw a couple glimpses from Mize. His first outing when his splitter looked awesome, and then he had an, uh, a, a start, I don't know, five, six starts later, where he actually was like looked dominant with just his fastball and his sinker. I mean, he was throwing his other pitches, but none of them looked terribly good. But he was still keeping guys off balance. That was when he had he had the no hitter going into like the fifth inning or whatever, maybe the sixth. I don't remember. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, we saw flashes, but again, it just not nearly enough. And he, uh, unlike Scooble, I thought Mize got rattled a lot, especially when men were on base. Um, and hopefully, that's the sort of thing that you know you can just with more time gets ironed out. Uh, but again, you know, I, I couldn't go higher. Because uh, he got a six nine nine ERA, I believe, yeah, almost seven. So it was just kind of ugly to me. I don't blame you. And I went with the full grade higher C minus, and I gave him a C minus based off oh. what mentioned. Well, it was half a grade. Now you said D plus, right? So you said yeah, D plus. So yeah, this is the closest we've been. Yeah, that's the close. And the reason why is because it's the dominance we did see, but then, yeah. like you said, not holding runners didn't help its cause, and just I think it was for, again just kind of figured things out, kind of thrown into the fire a little bit, but for all the hype that he got, there was some, there was some glimpses. You're like, well, I mean, he's keeping the White Sox off balance and the White Sox were one of the best hitting teams in the American league this year. So I'll give him a C minus for that and for that only. So I mean, yeah, I mean that, that first start was, you know, he got, was it like seven or eight swings and misses with that the splitter. And it was like, man, all right, no, this is, this is it. And then it just kind of, you know, he gave up a couple hits, and they yanked him out. And then after that, it was just you know rough start after rough start. It seemed like, but, yeah. And, and uh, the bullpen, I have five guys for the bullpen. I have Garcia, Soto, Jimenez, Cisnero, and Buck Farmer as kind of the most yeah. regular, most the guys we've seen the most. Unless I'm missing somebody. Am I, who am I missing? Am I missing somebody? Let's see. I, I had Alexander Cisnero, oh, Alexander. Norris, duh, duh. Okay, Soto, Norris, yeah. Jimenez, Garcia, Farmer, Garcia, Funkhauser, Schreiber. I did just about everybody. Okay, yeah, that's okay. I was making it in terms of regular. Why did no? Oh, that was bad. Okay, no, no, that's why because I had the tab down. I'm an idiot. Okay, so mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's start with let's start with uh, Brian Garcia, Chris. I gave Garcia a B minus. Um, and this is probably unfair. Um, he did perform very well. One six, six ERA, the results are the results. But as I was kind of harping on throughout the season, uh, he, he finished with barely more strikeouts than walks over 21 innings. And I just feel like, like his FIP was three, six, one, almost two full runs higher than his ERA. And I just, I I don't know how sustainable that is, but I, you know, I'm probably being inconsistent. Like I said, his results were were really solid. So, but I felt like a B minus was fair. Like a B is a good grade. It's like, you know, he's got like an 82%. I'll give him an 82%. And it's passing. It's solid GPA. It's just, uh, you know, I didn't, he wasn't dominant the way that he would have to be to get an A for me. 
I go, I, I'm with you, but I went with a B plus only because based there off the reason why I went with a little higher is because based off what he did last year coming off arm, Tommy John surgery to come back the way he did. And there was glimpses of it too, but he was mm-hmm. able to, yeah, the, the, uh, I'm sorry. I, did, I was just thinking the one outing where he struck out the side. Like it was yeah. against Cleveland. Yeah, it's like yeah, all right, you know, that's right. closer stuff there. But uh, and I not, saw that one time. Not to mention, he was able to limit the damage when he was out there. So he wasn't. Yeah, too, did, I don't think he gave up a homer, did he? No, I don't think so. No, actually, yeah, like you said, it's a miracle with his pitching staff. Yeah, <laughs> small things like that. But yeah, that's I went with a B plus on that. So for Gregory Soto, I gave him an A. Because no one expected this. If you told me mm-hmm. at the beginning of 2020 that Gregory Soto would be throwing out there 98, 99, 100 with movement and being like one of the most dominant left-handed starters, or excuse me, relievers in the American League, I say you're crazy. Because, I mean, in winter ball, there was a change in his windup when I noted that. But I was thinking, I don't know how much it's going to make a difference. But Soto, A, because he was able to just surprise everybody on that and that's that's in that alone and the movement on his pitches he was one, probably the best reliever on the tiger staff this year uh yeah you know i i'm looking at this but i i gave him a b minus which feels harsh <laughs> oh, uh, again Jesus, it's the same as man. same as it's the same as uh brian garcia but again i was just looking you know obviously like you said this was this was unexpected although i do think i predicted preseason that he could break out yeah you did uh, have you, to go you, back yeah, and look at but yeah. um but that was based. It wasn't like uh, it was based on seeing him in, in the summer camp. And being like, all right, this will work. Um, but yeah, in the end, he ended up with a four three RA and and a thirteen percent walk rate, which is still. I mean, he, he was pitching well and looked really good. I think he, I don't know if he tired down the stretch or what, but uh, at the end, I mean, it was kind of clear that the Tigers still didn't really count on him. You know, Garcia ended up getting the closer gig just because he threw more strikes, although he, he did walk about as many people. As Soto, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just the volatility of Soto kind of kept me from giving him a higher grade. He was the, the most enjoyable reliever to watch this season. I think for the Tigers, just because, you know, getting up to triple digits occasionally and, and busting out a really nice slider at times, but it seemed like the league downloaded him fairly quickly after that. Yeah. They're able to kind of be more patient, but I went off that potential, so I know people are gonna. You know, they're gonna probably. I, I, I'm, I'm expecting some people to, when they're hearing this, like what? And I'm, I'm fine with that. I, no, I, I mean, this is good. This is yeah. no. The, some people are gonna be like, "What the hell is wrong with Chris?" <laughs> and then other people are like, "Roger, you're too, you're too optimistic." Yeah, you're too nice, you're man. Sunny, sunny side up, <laughs> Mr. Blue scrambled. Yeah, Mr. Blue Skies over here. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then. Play that, uh, Mr. Blue Sky. Okay, so then from here, uh, let's go to Joe Jimenez. I'll start with this one, Chris. D. Right. D. I mean, yep. there's no – I'm not going to fail him because there's – when the Tigers use him in a situational – in a situation – in a situational setting, I don't know why I couldn't say that, he was fine. And it was okay. And it showed some of the Jimenez of old, but – we we learned this year he's not closer. Simple as that. And the Tigers might have to find a new closer next year. So I give him a D. Yeah, I. Uh, you could probably guess what grade I gave him. <laughs> a big old, a big old F. That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he he pitched better down the stretch, like the final, you know, seven or eight games. But yeah, I mean, I mean, again, the results are the results. Finished with a seven one five ERA, almost three home runs per nine innings. Um. He pitched 22 innings, and how many home runs did he give up? 
let's see, 22.2 innings and D. How many homers? I'm looking seven. Seven home runs in 22 innings. That's it. Yeah. He, he was worth negative 0.5 F4, which is insane for a reliever. Um, so, yeah. I, I, just, again, I, you know, wow. I feel bad. We've always kind of like he seems like a great guy, like works hard and stuff, but it just it was an awful year for him. And yeah, who knows? Uh, so, yeah, give him the F. The old F-bomb. Oh, wow. OK, so, yeah, it. I mean, I, if I could, if I add a minus to it, I will. So not too far off from yours, but anyway. All right, let's move on to then. Well, well go ahead, Chris. What? Well, there were a couple. So we, we didn't do Cisnero and we didn't, did we, we didn't do Cisnero. Did oh, we? I was, I was about to, the next guy I was about to do next. Oh, sorry. All right. I oh. thought you were moving on to the offense. My oh, bad. no, 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 no. We're good. Yeah, we're going to go. We have Farmer, we have Alexander, we have Norris, we have Schreiber to do, and we also have uh, okay. Funk, Funkhauser. So let's move on to Cisnero. Chris, would you give would you give Jose? I guess it's now an A minus. Um, I guess I had to throw that minus in there because I'm a dick. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean he, he was he was the best, most consistent reliever on the team this year. Uh, the only reason I, I honestly I looked at this in my head and I said, oh, the ERA is three oh three. If it was just under three, I would have given him an F, a flat A. <laughs> but so his fit, missed, but his fit was two six point five, Chris. Yeah, I, you're right. I should have. I mean, my, my reasoning is all over the board here. I guess I just didn't <laughs> want to be too optimistic or too, too praise, praise people. But no, I think Cisnero was, was the ace of the bullpen, if you will. He, he pitched a lot of innings. He was really good uh, for him. The slider looked good. The fastball looked good. It was talking about coming out of nowhere, another out of nowhere. And the, the difference between him and Soto was that uh, he threw more strikes. So it was kind of confusing to me why they weren't using him as the closer, but you know, whatever. I guess they were just trying everything this year. But yeah, yeah it definitely deserves an A of some sort. I am with you as well. I went with an, a solid A because yeah. based off, he improved from his numbers last year too. So it looked like he found the strike zone and was able to come out and be a good complimentary to Soto on the on the right side. Mm-hmm. So Buck Farmer, ladies and gentlemen, I gave my first F. And, oh. oh wow! And and look, and and honestly, Chris is what you and I talked about this a couple times on the podcast and in private conversations about him not striking out people. He wasn't striking out anybody. He wasn't missing any bats, but he just it looked like he took a step back. You thought that, and we talked about this before the season started, that we thought that Buck Farmer would be one of the consistent guys out of the bullpen and was able to provide that. But he, I don't know what happened, Chris. Maybe he was. You know, I know he had a he had a cap was it the calf or hamstring issue that maybe he wasn't a hundred percent on. I don't remember. But either way, the, oh, his velocity was down. His his yeah. was down almost two miles an hour this year. That's another thing I was going to bring up too. His fastball was at ninety one. I think it was something like I saw on Brooks baseball. Yeah, something I'm like looking that. at Fangraphs uh, here. It says ninety three point three, but it was ninety five point one last year. So I don't know. I mean, it, they could be counting different things uh, in different spots. But yeah, it was definitely down. Yeah. So what, 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 um, what's, your, what's your grade for Farmer? Uh, this is interesting. I actually gave Farmer a C minus. Um, Whoa. Yeah, I mean, it was like everything you said is is true. His uh, strikeouts were way down, and uh, he wasn't. His velocity was way down, but I gave him credit for he still managed a three eight ERA in twenty innings, twenty one innings, which I thought was you know acceptable for a reliever. Four four uh, FIP. His home runs were high, uh, but just like everybody, well, not not too high, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I just thought it was slightly below average. Uh, I would have, I guess I would have come into the season expecting 
more like a B minus to B performance, and he disappointed. But basically, just because he didn't strike guys out, everything else seemed to be in line. I mean, so that was my C minus. I mean, in terms of like, in terms, of, he's only gave up three home runs in twenty one innings. So maybe I'm a little bit harsh. But then I look at the it's the K per nine, Chris. That, Startled me. He went from a yeah. nine point seven to a five point nine. That's a that's quite a drop. Usually, yeah. No, it was it was. I think he had gone like it was like the first seven or eight innings he pitched this year without getting a strikeout. Yeah, I remember you you had a tweet about that too. I remember that it was yeah. something you tweeted about that. And look, and that's where the reason why I say that is because I think he was supposed to be a good linchpin for this. You know, maybe a D minus. I don't know. I'll give him a D minus. Screw it. I'll give him a D minus. That's that's F is a little too harsh, mm-hmm. but. Honestly, Chris, it's just because I expected a little more out of yeah. him this year. So, and that's where no, the, I get it. I you know, and the, in terms of uh, expectations, next up is Tyler Alexander. Mm-hmm. Chris, who would you what'd you get for Tyler Alexander? I give Alexander a flat C. Okay. Um, he was good. I mean, solid. I probably could justify um, uh, maybe even a full grade higher than this. Twenty eight in innings. Three one four ERA. That was pretty damn good. Uh, I guess I was affected. You know, I was looking at Fangraphs, and he had a five point oh one fifth negative WAR, which doesn't seem fair, given that he pitched pretty well. I thought, but uh, so that's why I went with a C. I was kind of torn between the numbers and the underlying numbers, if you will. I was with you on that too, Chris. I also gave him a, a C because I think it's the going back and forth between being a starter and not, and the Tigers. I think I think when you're throwing off. A pitcher who might be in a certain kind of mindset that might throw. I mean, just from just looking at how pitchers respond, whether they're starting or, or just going to be on the bullpen. So, no, I'm with you. I'll give him a solid C on that. And, and now we move up to Daniel Norton, our lefty. This one was a little tough for me, Chris, because I, I wanted to be Sunny Sunny J, Mister Blue Skies kind of guy with this, <laughs> but Daniel Norris came out. Came out firing, and but I think this I think this grade's fair based off his FIP, which was two point eight seven. I'm gonna give him a B minus because I was gonna give him a I was gonna give him a C minus, but then I looked at it and I thought about it more. This one was a tough one for me because his walks he had seven walks in twenty seven innings, and then it was like I said, it was just kind of looking at the 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 other numbers, and his K per nine was up from last year. So you can't fault him for that. I mean, his walks were up a little bit, 2.3 from 2.2. But the home runs, that's where you saw the difference, Chris. He only allowed two home runs the entire season. Yeah, I gave him a B+. Plus. Right, I thought, uh, I mean, he was used kind of inconsistently throughout the season. Uh, you know, I think he began the season as a starter and then was used kind of as a long reliever or, or he was backing up Fulmer or whatever. But, yeah, based on his numbers, I thought he was, you know, one of the best pitchers in the bullpen. Yeah, uh, it was kind of kind of did it quietly, and and I've been advocating him for him to go to the bullpen for at least a couple seasons now. I think three seasons, maybe uh, the last three years. I mean, you you were kind of the first one to say well, maybe you should go to the bullpen. Everyone's like, no, you should start. Um, but I'm looking. I'm going to see see his splits as a reliever. I think he probably only had one or two starts, but he started uh, splits. He started one start. He had one start. Oh, all right. So. And how did he do in that start? As a starter, a 10.80 RA in 1.2 innings. As a reliever, 2.77 in 26 innings with 28 strikeouts and five walks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think you can go into next year. I mean, who knows? I mean, the starting staff is is tough. Maybe try to force him in there again. But I think it would be nice if they just gave him a defined role, kind of make him, you know, one of the the 
I don't know, maybe he works best as a long reliever, but I'd like to just see him as like seventh, eighth inning sort of guy, like a high leverage late inning reliever, see what happens. But yeah, I, I thought it was a good year for him. Yeah, and then you have him and Soto as your two lefties out of bullpen. That's a pretty pretty good combo there. Yeah. And so the last yeah, and, and go ahead. He was a guy with his velocity went up as you expect when uh, you're coming out of the bullpen. So yeah, and, that, and that's a good thing. And he didn't and he was final. He found a way to harness it all this year. And I think it was a good year for him to, to come together. So the last two we're going to mention in the bullpen is Ronnie Garcia and John Schreiber. We'll start with Ronnie Garcia. Chris, what'd you have? Yeah. What'd you have for Ronnie Garcia? <laughs> I gave Ronnie a, a very unfair F. I mean, you know, he was a Rule Five pick. He shouldn't have been in the majors. Uh, and he, you know, went in there and threw the ball over the this, this plate most of the time. It just uh, happened to go over the wall most of the time afterward. Um, so the results are an F. I think, uh, you know, we've discussed a little bit about what his future holds. I mean, he looks kind of like a long reliever at best. But given the Tigers' starting pitching situation, I, I think that the Tigers probably should try to continue developing him as a starter. Just, you know, they just need the depth, really. When we talk about who knows what, uh, with, with Manning and Fido, I mean, it sounds like those, in, those injuries aren't very serious, but, you know, you never know. Forearm soreness is always a bad sign. And Wentz is recovering, and, and they don't really have that many depth starters anymore. So, I don't know. In any event, uh, yeah. F for failure, even though it's not really fair. Yeah, I gave him I gave him a D because he would like the same thing because he was in, in you know in terms of just being thrown out there a little bit. So yeah. um so yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with a D there. It was it was it was it was tough. And also I forgot we're gonna also talk about Kyle uh Kyle Funkhauser too. I forgot about that. But uh well we'll still yeah, we'll move on to Funkhauser before we get to John Schreiber. Funkhauser F. Sorry, sorry. I mean, look, I, I, you know, there's some things, the stash, and we saw some of the movement, the fastball, and all that. Great, awesome, but no, sorry, just didn't. It didn't, you know, they didn't move the movement for me. I mean, he only allowed three home runs in 17 innings, Chris, and that's. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought he gave up more, honestly, when I was looking at his numbers, but no, nah, dude, no. Nah. Yeah, I think I gave him a D minus. Oh wow! Yeah, D minus. So I, I didn't quite fail him. I probably should have, but it was one of those things where I saw a couple glimpses from him. We also saw a lot of what we saw from him in the minors, where he would just kind of dance around the zone and, and not really challenge guys. But I saw a little bit of progress in that regard, and and there were times when I think a lot of this grade is just based on his stuff. You know, we saw his him run the fastball up at 97 with movement and the slider. Occasionally, he would break off a plus slider, or at least an above average slider. Uh, so I felt like there's something to work with there. We saw some flashes, but yeah, I guess the results were, were pretty bad. It's a 7270 ERA. You can't get too excited about that. And that's fair, Chris. I mean, I I understand from that potential from the potential standpoint that definitely because there's a higher grade, but not for me today. I don't know. Maybe it's just because mm-hmm. maybe there's maybe there's times where I just I, I, every time I saw him, it just kind of reminded me when I saw him in Toledo. But nevertheless. Uh, and then for Schreiber, I, mean, I give him a C because his numbers, if you look at a deeper dive, his FIP was actually not that mm-hmm. bad. It was, a, it was, I mean, we're not. 402. Yeah, 402, which is not great, comparatively speaking. I mean, but still, it was better than his DRA, which is 6.32. And Schreiber, in terms of his K per nine, was actually did better than I anticipated. And it was just, it, in terms of just, I, I think, I think for him, this was a kind of learning curve season for him, but. He expected better than I, 
he expected better than I anticipated. So I, I gave him a solid C. Yeah, I went with a, a D plus on Shriver, which is again probably not consistent with what I've been doing given his stats. But uh, I don't know what it was. It just felt like he wasn't very good when I watched him this year, and that's totally unfair. Like that's not a way to grade guys. But I don't know. I mean, in, in the fact that they sent him down at one point after a rough outing. But yeah, I mean, the numbers say he was was solid. I just don't know. I don't. Know, I don't know what kind of role he'll have going forward. I think I even suggested that they might drop him from the 40 man, but, uh, I don't know. Looking at his numbers, that seems to be, uh, not wise. Although man, yeah, he's got a career 370 BABIP against, uh, so I don't know if, if he just, uh, it seems like he's very hittable when he's not striking guys out. If that makes any sense. No, it does. Yeah. Cause he, it's, it's location with him. If he's not pinpointing mm. his location, he's going to get hammered. Yeah. So kind of like one of those starters, like those soft hustle lefties that kind of yeah. pinpoint. So, all right, so on the on the hitting right. side, let's go to the hitting side. In the hitting side, we're going to kind of breeze through because we could spend all day on some of these guys. But we'll yeah. start with the regular starting nine and then a couple other players. We'll start with Austin Romine. And this one was a tough one for me because he was off to a good start and he just tailed off miserably in the second half of the season of the six games. So I went with a C-minus for Austin Romine. I went with D-plus, so we're pretty close here. And, and yeah, it's basic, same basic idea. He, he was... Getting some big hits early in the season, but he ended up striking out a ton, not walking any. And you'd like to give him credit for working with the pitching staff, but the pitching staff was awful. So yeah. I don't know. There's not a whole lot to 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 praise Roman on there. He, no. he he went out there every day he could, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, the next one, yeah, and yeah, you're right, Chris. I mean, he can only work the pitching staff. You're only as good as your pitching staff, so there's only so much you could work with. But a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of the praises in the press. Oh, he's he's making the pitching staff better. So take that for what it's worth. So we have Candelario coming up and Chris, what'd you give Candelario? I gave him a flat a, I thought Candelario outside of the, the, you know, the, the rough start. And I guess it's slightly rough finish, but he was their most consistent, most productive, best player. I'm going to give him an a too, Chris. And because I think the, I think the last part of that, maybe because of his back, he maybe had a lingering back yeah. problem. Because he, did, he didn't look the same the last couple of weeks, so it could be in that. But, yeah, no one expected this, and good for him. He's going to be a big part of the future, hopefully, coming up. Jonathan Scope, I gave him a B. I gave him a solid B+. Plus. He did exactly what the Tigers needed him to do, which was he hit home runs. He had a total of eight home runs, but he was able to do what he was supposed to do. He played a solid second base. He didn't embarrass himself, and he got smoked by the Brewers, who decided to just go damn hit everybody damn yeah. tiger and so but yeah <laughs> scope did better in terms of even free agents the last couple seasons yeah he, he lasted pretty much the whole season chris so congratulations to him on that <laughs> yeah they've had bad luck with that no i i gave him a b plus as well i i think he did everything uh, maybe that's unfair because he did everything they could ask for I, basically i didn't give him an a because he didn't walk but he never walked so i shouldn't have expected that but you know, I mean, he he played like you said, he played solid second base, and he hit a bunch of home runs for him, and hit for average. So yeah, I mean, it was it was a that was a nice signing, and, and I think they do have to consider re-signing him if possible. Although he may have a larger market now, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the, the market has the market should be interesting. Nico Goodrum, Chris, what'd you give him? I gave Goodrum a D plus, uh, which is the the only thing that kept him from failing and actually pushed him up to D plus was. His, how his defense graded out. He graded out really well on defense at shortstop. And then 
that's the one position. I mean, ideally you want players who, you know, do it all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he played really good defense at shortstop, and he provided some power and some speed and even got on base a little bit with walks. He just struck out way too much and hit for too low of an average to give him anything better than a D. Well, a D plus, I guess. I, I'm with you. I just gave him a solid D. And based mm-hmm. off what, based off the defense alone and his off, like you were talking about his fastball, just only hit fastballs, and that's it. No matter yeah. curveball, he's screwed. So the next up is Isaac Paredes. And, Chris, I gave him a solid C because – we saw glimpses of what he could be once he got more aggressive, and he didn't embarrass himself defensively. I thought he did a solid job. Again, for a guy who's just what twenty twenty one years old, barely, um, or yeah, he's just he was twenty one, getting under just under just over a hundred play appearances. I know there was a lot of hype to him, but he did as teams got adjusted to him, he struggled, but then he bounced back nicely in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I uh, this is maybe unfair again. I gave him a D. I, I thought, uh, I guess I just hoped for more power production. That makes from sense. Him yeah, I, I could. Than, okay, that makes sense. I mean, a one homer in 34 games, and he did get a couple of doubles or whatever. But yeah, a, a .070 um, isolated power is not going to work. Now, yeah, like you said, he's super young and it's just adjusting, and he went through a tough stretch, but. And, and yeah, his defense was solid. So I, I don't know. I just, uh, I just wanted to see more power from him, and, and we'll see what happens. Maybe this uh, distaste of Major League Baseball will make him much better next year. I mean, that's the hope, right? Right. Well, definitely. I mean, again, for throwing out there a little in the fire, I thought he did not too badly. Christian Stewart. I think we can both. I think we're both yeah. on the same page on this one, Chris. Uh, I gave him an F. Yeah, same here. So uh, it's a bummer, but. The production is the production, and he hasn't done anything with his time in the major leagues, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't taken advantage of the opportunities. Jacoby Jones, this one was a little. This was a little tough for me because of his injury. Before I was thinking about before yeah. the injury, but go ahead, Chris. What would you give him? I gave him a B slash incomplete. Now he played half the season, so incomplete probably isn't fair. But I I did that because, you know, if we had done this in the first three weeks of the season, he would have had an A plus, uh, and then he just kind of tailed off. And it um, wasn't all that great. So it, it felt like the incomplete was kind of <laughs> – I felt like had he played the full season, that may have been as low as a C or may have gone back up to an A. So that was kind of where I was with that. Yeah, I, I gave him a B minus slash incomplete too because of the the amount of at-bats. He just – well, just under 100 at-bats. So mm-hmm. – um, and then before we get to the – there's like a second-tier guys like uh, the Daz Camerons. And the Willie, Ca- or the Willie Castro's who were, or Jorge Bonifacio's who came up on the same time. We'll get to that in a second. But Miguel Cabrera, Chris, this one, this one, I, this one was a really, I, I think I'm gonna be Polly or Mr. Happy Blue Skies with this one, but I gave him a B plus, uh, based off the numbers I saw. His exit velocity jumped up. He had some good contact. He had ten home runs, Chris, mm-hmm. and no one expected that from him this year, based off his. Wear and tear on his body. So ten home runs, unexpected, considering his power decline. And honestly, he did a. He was one of the few Tigers. He's the only Tiger next to Victor Reyes that had two hundred at bats. And or, excuse yeah. me, yeah. So I mean, him Candelario, in terms of play appearances. Sorry, play appearances. Him Reyes, and Candelario were the only ones. And he went out there every day and just went about business. And then he had the press conference afterwards talking about what he wants to do next year. 
Give him what he wants, man. I mean, I think he's earned it. Play first base. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's, yeah, I mean. Alvio's like, yeah, pump the brakes. Alvio's like, nah, pump the brakes, dude. Well, you know, it's interesting that they say no because they want his career to last. But, uh, you know, it's not like he's tearing the, you know, setting the world on fire as a DH. And uh, it would theoretically solve some problems for them uh, in, in if it went well or if it went poorly. But uh, yeah, I gave him a C plus. Uh, like you said, yeah, I wasn't expecting the power production from him. He hit, what, four home runs in like the last week of the season. Um, but again, it was just, you know, he's a DH, and he was just kind of an average hitter, 250 hitter with average power numbers outside of the 10 home runs. It was it was nice to see him turn up and put a, put a positive war on the board, but I couldn't go too much higher than, than the average grade, so I went with a C plus. Yeah, I think that's the first one we kind of, Differed on quite a bit of uh, since the relievers or since pitchers, Victor Reyes, Chris. This one, this one, I also was kind of maybe a little unfair, but I, I think I gave him a fair grade. I think I gave him a fair grade. But go ahead, what'd you give him? I, I like Jacoby. I went with a flat B because he kind of had he had a stretch in the middle of the season like Jacoby had in the beginning of the season where he was just on fire. You know, wouldn't hit as many home runs, but he was stealing bases, putting the ball in play, and getting on base and making good plays in, in the outfield. And then he cooled off considerably like the final three weeks, but I still thought, you know, you play like that for a full season and he's like a two, three, one player. Uh, and that is not what I would expect from Victor Reyes. So I, I give him a B. I did too. I give him a B minus only because the last couple weeks of the season in making those adjustments, cause he wasn't making, I felt like he didn't know how to make the adjustments, but he, he did a lot better than anticipated. So coming up now is Willie Castro, Outside of his defense, Chris, I had no problem giving him a B plus. I thought offensively speaking, he did more than I anticipated, and his OPS plus was among one of the best on the team. Yeah, I gave him an A minus. Um, wow! And the only reason was wasn't an A because of the defense. Um, and, and it's kind of, I guess, suppose it's like the, the the reciprocal of Nico Goodrum. Maybe I should have gone a B plus, but yeah, I mean, you, you he comes in in thirty six games, uh, slugs or has an ISO over two hundred. Bats 349. It leads the team when WRC plus. I was like, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> that was pretty damn good. Unexpected. Now there, we've talked before about many glow, glaring warning signs like the 448 BABIP. Uh, but you know, in the end of the uh, end of the day, the production was the production, and his defense ended up not grading out too poorly. Uh, I, I know, like you know, outs above average and stuff for defensive run saves looked pretty bad, but I, I, you know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making excuses for him, but I feel like I feel like his defensive issues can be ironed out. Like it's there's the same sort of issues that you you see with Fernando Tatis Jr. A lot of them are throws that he's just not. I don't know. He's rushing or not not taking his time. But uh, it feels like something that could be ironed out. But I don't. Know. Yeah, a minus. I give him. I thought he was uh, deserving. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I was. I was like I said. The the defense thing was kind of where. And then you talk about the bat pip a little bit, but. Yeah, B B plus, close to A minus. I mean, I think we're yeah, we're, we're in the same ballpark. We're same ballpark. And then, as far as the rest of the players concerned, the only one I want, the only two I wanted to mention, because it was kind of incomplete for me, was mm-hmm. Harold Castro, because I didn't see enough to give him. A, yeah. I mean, he only, he only had what he only appeared in. I know it was twenty two games, but I felt like I didn't see him enough. Grayson Griner as a backup catcher. I gave him an F. I did too. Uh, I Bonif- Haas and incomplete. Same thing. Haas, I give him a complete. Bonifacio, I give him a C minus. Hey, so did I. 
right. Because I thought I saw something, you know, he was more competent than I thought. And then for Travis DeMerritt, I gave him a D. Uh, yeah, I sir, went with D minus slash incomplete. Yeah, Alcantara went for incomplete. I couldn't really grade him because I didn't really see yeah, enough of him. Um, and then Cameron Maben, before he got traded, I gave him a C slash incomplete because he was injured majority of the time here. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't give Maben a grade. And I didn't give me. Uh, I, I didn't give uh, CJ Crone a grade. Did you? Yeah, I gave him. I, I think I gave him a B incomplete. Okay. I, yeah, I, I didn't give him a grade. I just wasn't sure where to go about it. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, let us know what you think about your grades on the comments. And so times now it's time for questions, and this one is or goes email to us from Patrick B on Twitter, and this is a pretty loaded question, but it's a really good question. So thank you, Patrick, for sending it in. We appreciate you listening, and we also appreciate the comment about we're great and thank you. Honestly, it's, it's awesome. So the comments about us being handsome and yeah, I mean it yeah. was really it was a little bit much, but. <laughs> Diaper, diaper dandies. Um, so the here's here's a here's a question. Does the Tigers front office feel like they have some kind of offseason they have to have last couple seasons and still gain farmer fan garner fan interest? The draft, the farm system, and development process are clearly not developing the prospects they need in year six to complete. They're also not developing any type any international prospects of note, and have been have not shown the ability to make clever trades or pick up release players and tweak bats for the better. Is this a season that they realize they have to pay for a couple above average players to avoid fan apathy or embarrass and embarrassment? Or do we continue to just turn out incomplete for a baseball rosters, more failed prospects and lose not another 95 games for another top five pick. Well, Chris, um, <laughs> I'll let you take first crack of that because I, 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 I kind of, I, when Patrick sent that in, I had a thorough thought of, or I had a kind of a, a thought created, but I'll let you go first. Well, I mean, I think my initial reaction to that was like, yeah, I mean, he's dead on about everything he's saying, but I don't think the front office will agree with him. I, I think there's a bit of denial there or just, Hey, let's just hold on to this as long as we can. I don't think the front office would say, no, no, we're, we're developing these international prospects. They're fine. They're coming. Look at Gregory Soto. Uh, we got some other guys coming. And the draft, we, we did well in the draft. And, uh, yeah, prospects, you you guys didn't see it. But uh, Toledo, yeah, the prospects were looking great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think they're probably a little diluted. I mean, they also know more. I mean, we can't really speak for the front office. So I don't know if, if you know, point A would lead to point B where they, they look and go, yeah, man, man, we suck at this. We're going to have to spend a bunch of money. I don't think they would ever say that, basically. Um, and, and I really don't think – I don't picture them going and spending a ton of money. I, I still don't feel like that we're going to see a multi-year deal. And, and I think they'll use uh, the COVID as either an excuse or a legitimate reason why they can't spend more money. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I they just don't strike me as the sort of self-evaluators that we would wish they were. Yeah, and, and Lynn Henning, which there was an article that's behind a paywall about giving his what his perspective on where they are and how long we have to wait. But and I mentioned this earlier. He spoke to the media last week and he mentioned AJ Hinch and Cora, which was a new name that uh, added to the bunch for candidates. Um, but I didn't expect them to bring in Alex Cora, but. Um, 
they he said they they could finish sometime in October. It could be in November. They're you know, they're kind of taking their time. He said they're, they're so they're kind of taking their our time with it. That was his quote. And they're also making some changes in the pro scouting department. So Patrick, they might be able to. I guess they're not renewing certain contracts with that. So there might be some t- changes there. So that is, that's encouraging. I mean, if you all think considering Chris, that's kind of encouraging in the sense that they are doing that. So hopefully they're scouting for the better. Well, well, I, I, I think that was just eliminating. I think they eliminated seven scouting positions. Oh, so I don't, I don't ooh. think that's a situation where they're, and, and to be clear though, this is pro scouting. So these are, these are the scouts, uh, who generally are, are out there, like, I don't know if it's totally advanced scouts, but it's not like the amateur side where they're scouting for the draft and things like that. These are, a lot of them are, are scouting uh, in the major leagues and some of them in the minor leagues. And this is like the discussion we were having with Chip and everything. Like, you, we see this all over baseball right now where teams are just more and more reliant on the data that they can pull in. And then a lot of teams are sharing it. We've already seen them share data with, you know, they're sharing like the Atlantic League data or whatever it was. And, um, yeah, it sort of feels like the teams are, are the the information gap has basically been closed and teams basically all have the same information now. I mean, and not, not entirely. I'm sure there's still some teams that are, are far more advanced, but it's now it's more about developing your players. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that they're cutting, cutting those positions. I had hoped that maybe a couple teams would stick with a big scouting staff and maybe they'll have some success and it'll bring scouts back, but I, I'm, I'm not uh, confident that'll happen. I, I think teams are basically looking at it and saying, we can get interns to look at this, you know, this video and data and tell us the same stuff that the scouts who are at the games tell us. And it's a bummer, but I feel like that's just the way things are going. I think we call it the McKinseyfication of baseball. <laughs> yeah. The corporatization. Basically it's, it's just like, uh, you know, my job, um, I don't know how many years ago, it was eight, seven or eight years ago. I, my job was spared, but I worked at a company of 160 people and like 70 of the positions were just eliminated and sent to India because they could do the data entry there and cheaper. And it's like that's that just feels like the way baseball is moving to me. No, that's a good that's a good analogy, Chris. I mean, especially with you look at and some of the there's scouts out there and James Chipman t- t- tweeted out how writers don't have the same perspective as scouts and, and but I feel like because scouts feel like they're under attack and rightfully so when baseball is even looking at some potential you know interns or anything like that just people out there who are just crunching numbers and for us sometimes I mean for us how much we watch the game and everything we still there's some ways to go of learning in terms of from a scout's perspective and all that but nevertheless to answer Patrick's question about paying for a couple of above-average players, really, I would love for that to happen. I would love for them to go get out Michael Brantley and solve a lot of their outfield problems in terms of solidifying a guy who can have, hits the ball hard, showing some power. He hit two home runs today. But I'd love for that to happen. I'd love for them, the Tigers, to sign a starter because they don't – the starting depth is not as deep as people say it is. And, and, and on the surface, it's not. You still, you still have to address second base – Right now, because they don't have a second baseman. They don't have a first base. I mean, technically, if you want to put Candelario there and maybe start Paredes at third, whatever you want to do, they technically don't have a first baseman. Castro is your, I guess, your starting shortstop of the future for now. But then you, Victor Reyes, you could probably put him in right, 
plug him there, maybe Jacoby Jones. But the rest of the team, honestly, Chris, it's open season. I mean, you could really, in terms of like, in terms of from an offensive standpoint, the the pitching rotation. You know, you have Scooble. You know, you have Mize, and right now you have Matthew Boyd there. But the rest of it, and, and Turnbull, yeah, yeah, Turnbull, and Turnbull, yeah. And then the bullpen is pretty much going to stay the same, minus a few changes here and there. And Zimmerman's gone. But I think with that money, the way that Avila was talking about, I don't think they're going to spend. I'd love for them to spend. But in terms of development, the one other thing that Patrick mentioned about the international prospects, to note, we haven't really heard anything, like zero, nothing. Like, And they're so far away, Chris. I think yeah. you're not going to see another four or five years before you see an international prospect. And I could be wrong, but I think I'll give it minimum minimum four years before you see a international prospect of some sort of stature they have right now, the composts of the world, the the um, yeah. Leonardo's of the world make a difference. So I give it four years tops or minimum, minimum. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, that sounds right. I mean, we may see somebody like a Angel de Jesus show up, but you know, we're talking about a reliever. You know, I mean, that's, it just takes it, it, unless you get one of these superstars like a, like a Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna who just blasts through the minors or Fernando Tatis and that, that, that seems like it's uh, common, but it really isn't all that common. Although I can also mention Vlad Guerrero. Um, you know, it usually takes these guys time. And if we look back, what, three, four signing classes ago? That was Alvaro Gonzalez and Carlos Uruguayan, I think. And, and yeah. Gonzalez was hurt last year, I think, for most of it. And, you know, not seeing those guys at all this year. Jose de la Cruz and Adinso Reyes didn't get to see them all this year because of the, the COVID. Roberto Campos, yeah. So it, it's like all these guys are in low A or I mean, low, not even reached low A yet. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's uh, I mean, it, it might be unfair to say they're not developing. Maybe some of these guys show up and are good. I mean, we kind of hoped that Winslow Perez was going to be the guy who breaks that streak, but he had an awful 2019. Not necessarily awful, but didn't make any progress in 2019. It seemed. So yeah, it, it's just it's difficult. It's it's. You would hope that the team would look at it and say, "Man, yeah, we're not very good at this. Uh, we got to get better." Um, but I don't think, honestly, like you couldn't. I don't think you could buy your way into contention, even with the. I mean, I suppose they could with the expanded playoffs, but the amount of holes in this team and and the lack of help on the way. I don't know. It sounds weird saying that because everybody ranks them like a top ten farm system, but. Really, there's there's nobody like immediately. We've seen Mize and we've seen Scooble, and we were hoping for Manning, basically. But then you know Fido is probably a reliever long term. Wentz is hurt. Uh, we already seen Paredes and and Cameron and Castro. So th- there's like there's some bodies there, but I don't think we're expecting. It might, we might see Torque next year and maybe Riley Green if they go go ham, but that's probably still two years away. So it's just like, yeah, I don't even know if you spend money this year. What's the point? You're, you're just kind of filling gaps again. Yeah. I feel like that's the way they're going to look at it, at least. Yeah, and that's a good point, Chris. And, and we look at two teams in the postseason that are playing each other right now, the Padres and the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. The Padres have more John starting, who him going tonight. And he was a guy that they – I mean, look, both, granted, both teams spend a lot of money in the international market. I get that. And they're capped out. But it's development. Tony, and you mentioned, you mentioned this uh, in a tweet about Tony or – Talking about Tony, um, was is it Gons? Tony Gonsolin? Yeah, Gonsolin. 
That guy was what, a late round draft pick, and they were able. I to, think he was a ninth rounder, but he was a senior, so it was like a, a savings. He was, you know, you could you could argue that he would have gone much later. Yeah, but but still, it's one of those things where you look at what the Padres were able to even the their their high pro, uh, the prospect. I'm trying to think of the I'm drawing a blank who they the um, Columbia or is who's a high regarded pitching prospect um, with the weird leg kick. Uh, Patino? Yeah, Patino, for example. They're able to put some guys out there and go, okay, well, let's see how he can work and, and put it in there. The Tigers can't – Tigers right now, from an international standpoint, I'm trying to – and I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, Chris, but I can't think of the last pitcher that came up outside of Fernando Rodney. Let's, let's just put his perspective for a second before we move to the last question, maybe before we get out of here. If you put the Tigers in an international and in the standpoint of international side of pitching, it is crickets. The last decade, even longer than that, man. Think about it this way. For Dan Rodney, you have and I, I can't I'm drawing a blank. For, uh, all the all their unless I'm missing somebody, Chris. Tell, I mean there's Well, so I mean in the last decade, I can't think of anybody. There was I guess toward the end of the previous decade, you had like Jair Jurgens briefly who came up. Um, and then, you know, there were some other guys like uh, Alfredo Figaro, oh, yeah, Freddie Dulce. And, you know, they've always had these kind of random pitchers, but Jurgens was really the only one who was any, any quality. Yeah. And I mean, and he, and he had his all-star career in with as a brave. But then, like for Lang, you know, for example, Armando Galarraga was a cast off somewhere else. But then those bullpen pieces of like, the, yeah, Figaro was a guy that was out of the bullpen. And then I was trying to think of like, Clay Rapata was a guy they got from a trade. I think they, they get him for Greg Monroe. I think Jack Jones or Jack something Jones, like that. Yeah, he was, was yeah, it was from the Cubs. Yeah, he came from over from yeah. the Cubs. He was like a throwaway in there. Jordan Tot, uh, Tata. That guy was a draftee. That was a guy. Was a, that was mm-hmm. a, he wanted Sam Houston. Because my brother was like, oh, my brother and I were talking about this uh, a few he weeks ended ago. Up having uh, a, I don't know if it was a good career, but he was with the Twins for a couple of years. I thought. Yeah, and then what? I, I was like, well, what about Yorman uh, Bazo? And I'm like, nope, that he came. Oh, Yorman Bazardo. Yeah. And I was trying to think oh, of like yeah. names. I was trying to think of some deep, like deep cuts, some Tiger reliever deep cuts from like. The Millennium, and he's and I mentioned that one. He totally forgot that that even guy existed. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Will Desmo was a Rule Five pick from Boston, or was he? Yeah, that was long, long yeah, time ago. Long, long time ago. But you, yep. they haven't developed. So that's my point right there. Fernando Rodney, mm-hmm. that is it. That is it. That's well, I, come I mean, on, man. Yeah, you'd say Gregory Soto, I guess, but yeah, okay, well, yeah. Gregory Soto comes comes into play, but my point is, yeah. you look at other teams what they're doing. Look at Minnesota. You look at even the, the White Sox in terms of even every once in a while getting some relievers. The Indians are getting relievers out of nowhere, and the Tigers can't even get international guys to develop properly. What does that say? I mean, that's I, I don't know, Patrick. I'm not trying to sound like a Debbie Downer, but it, it, to be to keeping it real, they have to get some. If, even if they overpaid, they're still gonna. It's it's still this incomplete for a part you're referring to and, and looking at the free I mean looking at the free agent pitchers Chris mm. and, and for Tiger possibilities I mean Michael Waka a guy like Michael Waka Tijon Walker these guys have seen they got mileage all you know in, elsewhere Trevor Cahill 
Kevin Galsman. Man, those are the kind of guys that I see him signing, but yeah, it's probably somebody like that. No, I, I, I don't know. I guess the one scenario you could sort of see, and again, this is a willingness to spend money, but we talked about the Padres. They were pretty awful when they went out and spent a ton of money on Eric Hosmer, and then they did it again the next year with Manny Machado. Um, and they didn't get any results until this year, this shortened year, but they, they look good. But they also had that small army of really interesting prospects, and they made some some great trades too. You know, getting Tommy Pham, getting uh, Trent Grisham. Yeah, I mean, they, they made some good moves. So it takes a lot of things to make a, a championship-caliber team, let alone a playoff-caliber team. And the, we haven't seen them from the Tigers, but I don't think they're going to look in a full-length mirror and tell themselves that they're wrong. <laughs> no, definitely not. De- definitely not. Go ahead. Oh, what was the last question, Chris? We got oh, we, uh, our, our friend Kate Turret, who has been asking those good questions lately. Uh, similar thing said. Uh, Miguel Cabrera has never been shy about hitting the ball where it's pitched. Now Tigers prospects are following suit with shift busting and exit velocity analytics, confounding base hits to the opposite field. Are these players emulating their hero or following a new team strategy? Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts to that? Uh, I, I think there's a new team strategy. I mean, there's definitely a there's some sort of strategy going on. I mean, we joked about the analytics lineup and all that stuff, but there's something to that. There's something going on with that, and they're trying it at least. And even with Avila talking about, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit about the next manager being a, and you said it right on the button, kind of a guy that communicates well the the front office and just kind of a more a. Uh, um, was it a, a psychiatrist versus a manager if that makes sense? Yeah. So, but I, I think there's some sort of strategy involved. What, to what degree? I don't know, but I know that you, George Farva, Joe, Joe Farva definitely had some sort of instructions in that in place. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to think that, that they were putting something into play, but I also think that it's kind of, it, it may have just been happenstance. Like with, with uh, Isak Paredes, he can go to the opposite field, and then when he does, that's when he's at his best. But he kind of gets caught into, uh, you know, in the rut of, of pulling the ball, and that's where his power is. Um, but I, I think that's just been the way he has been his whole career. I, I think when we're talking about like Victor Reyes and Willie Castro, I, I don't know if I want to call it luck. I think that they are just that's just the kind of hitters they are. They, they've got well above average raw bat to ball skills and not a ton of natural loft in their swing. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, they Castro hit some home runs. So did Reyes depends on where the ball is, but I think they just are are kind of, uh, able to put the bat on the ball. And, uh, I I don't know if it's uh, just like waiting and trying not deliberately trying to go the other way or if it's just pure luck or what, but yeah, I, I need to see more of it, I guess, before I say this is a clear strategy. I, I feel like they're just kind of, they have a couple hitters like that who can do it. I mean, Harold Castro does it too. Just basically throwing the bat out there and putting the bat on the ball and, you know, making solid contact, not like barrels. I think the Tigers, I'm looking here on StatCast, the Tigers finished fourth in baseball on solid contact, not barrels. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's something, maybe... I just need to see more than one one kind of sixty game season to to judge if it was a a program or just who the players are. And I guess that would who the players are maybe 
by default would mean that it was more like the first point that they're emulating Miguel Cabrera. But true, I don't know. But the reason why I think there's some program in place is because Lloyd McClellan was not the hitting coach, comparatively speaking. Last year, there yeah. was not, there's no like last year was just chaos. This year, at least you saw some. Like for example, there were some games where the Tigers started hitting. There were games that would outscore the opponent by not hitting a home run, and then you saw that mm-hmm. that they were able to generate offense that way. So. Let me look. All right, I'm looking here. Baseball Savant lets you break down uh, teams and stuff by batted ball direction. So uh, the Tigers were 14th in baseball this year in opposite field hits. Uh, 1.3% of the pitches they saw were opposite field hits. How compared to that? Check. How about that from last year, comparatively speaking, to last that, year? That's what I'm going to check now. Um, Survey says. All right, last year. Because Lloyd McClendon was always stretching, stressing doubles, right? Last year, they were uh, fourth in Whoa. opposite field hits, <laughs> 1.5% of the pitches. Um, well, let me see. Let but the trade-off, the, there's, there's, there's definitely some sort of trade-off to that, though. Let me, Yeah, I'm checking now the batted ball, the pull. If they pulled the ball at all last year. I mean, the, the team was awful last year. They, well, they were also third in pulling the ball last year. All right. So what's going on here? Let me, let me see straight away. I don't know how. Maybe I'm doing this all wrong. Let's see. Straight away, fourth and straight. At, all right. Something's. I don't know how this works, but uh, anyway, yeah, I, I I'd have to dig deeper to figure out how the stats actually work. But I don't know. I mean, I think Reyes and, and Castro were Willie Castro were the two big uh, proponents of just kind of going the opposite way. Well, I don't think we saw a ton of that with Jonathan Scope or. I probably did a little bit, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, maybe there's uh, some, there's some, there, there's some, maybe I think there's some, there's something going to it, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, maybe they are. Cabrera is a leader in that team clubhouse, and he's made that be known. A lot of he has a really good camaraderie among his teammates. So if that's that, then that's great. Yeah. And then people can stop getting off his damn back about. Oh, well, he's getting overpaid. Shut up. If I hear another damn comment about that on Facebook and Twitter, I'm going to scream. We know he's getting overpaid. Shut up about it. Good God, man. Yeah, remember they, they knew it when they signed him that it was going to be a terrible <laughs> contract. But you, what do you do? You let the guy go when he's winning triple crowns and hitting 40 home runs and batting 330 and, and like, you know. Pay the man. It's it's a very tough decision to make. And we talked about it before. You know, the Cardinals were probably much better off for letting Pujols go. But, boy, that's hard to do. Yeah. For a franchise player like that and for what he did for yeah. the Tigers. So, but we're out of time. Thank you so much for listening to Tigers SRD on the Tiger Manly Report Network. And of course, as always, at sportsreallydetroit.com. It's part of the network of shows. So, next week we'll be discussing, we'll probably go into, we'll do a probably postseason recap. We'll see if Perry's around. We haven't talked to Perry in a while. It always feels like October. Yeah, I, you know, we've been, we went on a Halloween thing. So maybe we should talk Halloween. We haven't done, yeah. We, last year we had him on in October. So maybe it was, it's been it's been far too long that we haven't had Perry on. Yeah, I'll reach out to him. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And uh, talk some movies, talk a little bit about, of course, baseball. And if you can't get enough, go to our website, Tiger Mining Report or MotorCityBangles.com. But I will say, Patrick, thank you. You gave me inspiration for an idea that I think mm-hmm. I'm going to bust out tomorrow. So until then, we'll see you next week.